Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, I am one of the two hosts that hosts Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. The other one uh, is with me on the line and his name is... Alaric. Hello. Hello. It feels like you do a, a slightly different phrasing of that every time. Yeah, I- intended. You're going to run intended. out of combinations. There are only so many ways you can say it. I'll just start talking about random things. <laughs> just start adding adding in uh, historical maths facts about spirals. I, I and, think I'd uh, prefer that. Yeah. Wh- okay. <laughs> well, y- you've got a while to wait. Because okay. <laughs> I have to. Uh, I have to. I have to get through all of my traditional greetings first, and then uh, you know, might switch to another language, become a German language podcast for a while, and then uh, back again. Okay. I I don't think I'd be able to listen to it if it was in another language. Uh, you'd be surprised. Hmm. How are you? I'm good. Yep. Cool. Right, let's do some math. <laughs> I went to Maths Jam recently, and one of their problems has had me thinking for about two weeks, and I, I've just brought it up in conversation with almost everyone I've met. I think you know which problem I'm talking about. I do, because I am almost everyone you've met as well <laughs> in that category. The problem is this. You've got a bicycle, and you've got someone um, holding it so it doesn't fall over, but they're not trying to affect its motion in any way. And then pedals, one of the pedals is pointing straight up, and one of the pedals is pointing straight down. Yeah. If you went up to the pedals, and you pushed the bottom pedal with a kind of horizontal force, and you're pushing it so the force is going towards the back of the bike, which way does the bike move? Oh, is that what the puzzle was? Yeah. I thought it was what happens when you push down. What do you mean? Well, I thought the puzzle was, here's the bike, someone's stopping it from tipping over, Yep. and you push your foot down on the pedal. Well, there's no resultant force on that one, right? Yeah, but I thought there might be something weird to do with like the tension and the bike very slightly bending in a certain way. And Right, know. okay. So are the pedals held in place, or the pedals are free to move? The pedals are like they are in a normal bike. No one's stopping them moving. Yeah. The two things to weigh up here are, on the one hand, the, the force is physically pushing the bike backwards, so it feels like it would lose some ground like that. Yeah. On the other hand, you're forcing the pedals round, which would mean it would roll forwards. Right. You've got two competing things going in opposite yeah. directions here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Maths Jam, we had a discussion about this. We were in a pub, so we didn't have a bike like in the room with us. And I think we all got to the point where we convinced ourselves which way it would go. And then we watched a video of it, of which way mm-hmm. it actually goes, and it goes the opposite way to we thought. I've tried to not say which way it goes yet, because uh, maybe the uh, the listeners want to um, think about it themselves. Potentially you may want to pause and have a think about it. Say your yeah. vote out loud, either forwards or backwards. That means you're committed. Right, so, the bike does go backwards. I found this quite surprising. I don't know if that is surprising. Obviously, I've had the uh, I've seen the video before knowing what the problem was. Yeah. Apparently, so let let me say what I think is not surprising about it. Okay. As someone who's come into this knowing the answer first, which is that whenever you're riding a bike, and it's not something I'm fantastic at, but I have found this nonetheless, it's way way easier to get the pedals to turn by pushing the higher pedal down, or even moving the higher pedal around than the lower pedal. Okay. And so I think maybe people are just categorizing pedal move in their head. That's and they're the saying same thing. Yeah. pedal move make bike move, but actually the pedal that moves that makes the bike move is the upper pedal, whichever one is the higher. 
It feels like even before you reach the top, the upper pedal is sort of taking over. It almost feels like that, that's where you have leverage from. You don't really have much leverage when, when, when the pedal's lower. Has anybody said this already from the people you've talked to? Um, yeah, pe- people have had this sort of conversation with me. Hmm. Um, see, the reason I, I thought it would move forwards, if we imagine it not as a proper bicycle, but as a unicycle, say, where you, the pedals are like attached just to the wheel, so there's no chains involved. With that one, if you had, say, 10 centimetres worth of movement of the pedal, because the pedal is on a smaller radius from the middle of the wheel than the rim of the wheel is, then 10 centimetres of its movement of the pedal would create a longer amount of movement for the wheel. Mm. And so the two competing factors are you're kind of pushing it back by about 10 centimetres, but it's rolling forwards longer than 10 centimetres. Now, there must be something wrong with this logic, because that's not what happens. Well, so, with a unicycle, it's fixed. It's completely fixed. Like, one rotation of the pedals is one rotation of the bike wheel. Yeah. I I think some of them are geared, but yeah. Okay. So, that's very different. Additionally, even if it could roll, and you had this sort of differential gear system or whatever, where... Or, or a tooth gear system or something where if you got it to go forward then it would go forward but it's also trying to go backwards because of the that then thinking about it in terms of 10 centimeters is the exact wrong way to think about it okay you shouldn't think about it in terms of 10 centimeters you should be thinking about it in terms of torques and forces okay um and and resolving them that way because the bike moving forwards or backwards is it's, it's about accelerations so your horizontal force at a 10 centimeter pedal will apply a certain amount of torque yeah. like that torque will result on the ground and produce a force propelling you forward. Okay. And that is what you measure against the force that you are pushing backward on. Do you think there would be a difference in behaviour if, so situation one, you apply the force in a kind of constant way, and situation two, where you um, apply a kind of impulse to the lower pedal, so you shoot a cannonball at it or something, so it's like all of the motion given to it is happening in just one quick burst. An impulse. Yeah. I think this is force invariant. Okay. This problem. I think the Fs will cancel. So the question is, so the amount of torque that you create with the pedals gets applied to the back wheel, uh, and it might be multiplied, you know, by the gears or whatever. Mm. And then that resultant force on the ground is what would push a bike forward normally. Because okay. it just... Goes, goes to the back wheel, the front, the front wheel free, free wheels. And so that's the force you have pushing forward, but you also have that force pushing backwards because you're not using the top foot. Like when you're on a bicycle, theoretically, you're pushing forwards with your top foot, backwards with your bottom foot. So that balances out. Yeah. But this time, you're only using like one foot and it's the one that's pushing backwards. So there's no balancing out of those forces. Yeah, it's not a complete couple. You're ending up with a, a torque that is pushing on the ground Yep. And pushing the bike forward, and you're ending up with a straight up just backwards force that's trying to push it backwards, and it's about the balance between the two. So, if you imagined it not quite, the pedal isn't quite straight down, if we vary the angle a bit, if we varied it to 90 degrees, so it's horizontal, then it's clear that when you push down with your foot, the bike goes forward. Uh, you mean if it's pushed out 90 degrees forwards? Uh, yeah. Yeah. As you. As the angle gets closer and closer to being just straight down, yeah, there must be a change of behaviour some at some point between there. 
yes. I think perhaps a little easier to think about it in terms of not pushing down or like pushing around or whatever, but always horizontal. Okay. Because you said pushing down when it's at 90 degrees, and, but we're talking about pushing horizontally. Yeah, so in mine, the force was always um, perpendicular to the pedal. Right. Let's keep it statically horizontal. I think that's that's potentially a, a little easier to think about. Okay. Um, imagine the situation where it's 90 degrees in either direction. Yep. It's I... never. It's not going to apply any torque to the wheel at all. Yep. I and see. so it'll always push backwards. And so somewhere between the two, there, there is a transition point. And I wonder where it is, because I'm not sure that it is at 45 degrees. I think it must be dependent on wh- in which gear you're in as well. I've been thinking this as well, yeah. I think there exists some gearing which, in the original problem, would let the bike go forwards. Mm. So uh, I got an email from one of my students where he put his thoughts on it, and he was talking about cycloids. So uh, if we just define some terminology here. A cycloid, we mentioned them back in the Christmas episode, episode two, mm. when we were talking about wrapping paper. Yes. Imagine you've got a coin and you uh, draw a dot on it somewhere not in the centre and then you roll it along a table and if you imagine the shape that dot makes in the air you get this kind of like arcs. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine another one and this is is harder to imagine with kind of coins but imagine again you're rolling a circle but the point is outside of that circle and you're rolling it along. Yeah. In that one it makes a kind of loopier thing mm. again you got these kind of arches I think these are the kind of equivalents of what's happening for different gearing with your pedals so imagine one where uh, you're in a really high gear you wouldn't have to move your feet around much to get a lot of distance travelled by your bike right yeah yeah with that one a very small amount of movement of the pedal creates quite a lot of forward movement of the bike yeah I think that's equivalent to the uh, the curtate cycloid, so the one where you've got a point drawn in the middle of the circle, well, n- inside the circle. I'm not explaining this very well at all. No, you are. No, it's fine. So I think I know where you're going with this, which is that the length of the pedal yeah. is where the dot is. Yes. Imagine you were uh, pedaling along on your bicycle and the pedals were longer than the actual wheel. You'd have to be like going along with like a trench next to you. A trench either side to yeah. fit your incredibly long pedals in. Yeah. What we're doing there is is the equivalent of gearing. We're just making a longer pedal. So it's it's got more torque applied there. It's more yeah. moment. With that one there, it feels like... It, hmm, which way around is this? When it's bigger. When it's bigger... You move more. Yeah. To move a little. I thought I had it sorted in my mind. But now I can't see which way around these are meant to be. But I get what you're saying, which is that if it was a fixie, which is the the gears, or the, um, what do I mean, the, the circular bits that hold the chain are the same size, then the size of the pedal would change things. Now, if you change those gears, you're basically virtually magnifying the size of the pedal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think there exists some length of pedal which would change the behaviour of whether it goes forwards or backwards. And you think it is when the multiplication ratio between the pedal and the back wheel yep. multiplied by the length of the pedal is greater than the length of the wheel, or the radius of the wheel. I'm not sure I can get an exact formula like that. 
it seems like there's quite a lot going on. Well, there isn't much. But I figured it was the scaling factor. The scaling factor between the circular bit that holds the chain, <laughs> I don't know what that's called, uh, on the pedal, and the circular bit that holds the chain on the back wheel. Yeah. Those are just scaling factors that will, like, artificially scale up or down the wheel in torque space. Yeah. And the length of the pedal will do the same. So, some multiplication which is the ratio between the radii of the the, the, the pedal's gear, let's call it gear, yep. and the back wheel's gear, that multiplies the torque in torque space. Yep. And so does the length of the, uh, the, the pedal. And so if you are trying to make it to be a situation where effectively you have a longer pedal than the wheel... Yep then the only way you can do that without actually having a longer pedal than the wheel is to multiply the amount of torque that you can provide. Yep. And that's that's with the ratio between the two gears. So yep. you've got... I see what the, you're so the ratio between the torques normally would be length of pedal mm. and radius of radius of wheel. Yep. But you can you can imagine that there's a sort of times one on either of those. And that times one is, 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 is the ratio between the two gears. Yep. And so you just apply that into the formula and suddenly you've got the real inequality. And then when when the, when the left hand side, which is the multiplication ratio times the 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 length of the pedal, is greater than the radius of the back wheel, then you have your tipping point. I think. Mm. I think that's the case with the gear that was used uh, on the example bike that moved backwards. If we take out the uh, the kind of forces from this and think about it just kind of as a mathematical shape, as you're going along in a high gear, as you're pedaling. There's no point at which the pedals move backwards relative to the ground. Yeah. If you're going along in a low gear, then there are points where the pedals move backwards relative to the ground because you're doing a lot of like moving your pedals to, for not much forward movement. This yeah. is the difference between the two different cycloids. Yeah. So in the higher gear one, because the pedals never move backwards, then trying to push them backwards would only make the bike go backwards. In a low gear, because just in the natural rolling along of a bike, the pedals do go backwards, then it feels like, in that case, it would go forwards. That makes sense, too. It's equivalent, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's a relatively intuitive way of thinking about it. Cool. <laughs> Something has come to mind. Yeah. Which is that in the example video, which I'm sure we'll link in the show notes or something. Yeah, I'll put it in. And you, and you go and have a look of someone actually doing this. It look, does look like they're applying a lot of downward force to the uh, pedal. Hmm. Which I think may affect things somewhat. I have since tried this on a natural bike. Yeah. I, I was at my parents last weekend and I yeah. told them about this problem. And then we all went out to the garage and uh, pressed some <laughs> pedals. We tried it varying it slightly from pointing straight down as well. We tried it like some number of degrees off. Yeah. And got the kind of difference in behaviour. So from some angles you could get it going forwards. But again, this is me doing the force perpendicular to the pedal. Yeah. This problem has kind of stayed with me because it, my intuition was wrong. By changing the angle, what you're doing is you're changing the translational force to torque ratio. Yeah. And all you're doing there is effectively changing the gear. You're effectively changing the length of the uh, pedal. Yep, all these things are equivalent. They are, they're, 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 they're all equivalent, yeah. It's all just scaling up and down in this big um, inequality where there's a tipping point. So presumably there's one where it doesn't move at all. Yeah, there must be a stationary point. There's a stationary point. Has this effectively resolved 
your problem with this? Or yes. does this still bug you in your no. brain? No, this is good. Okay. I, I like the the intuitive thing of like thinking about which way the uh, the pedals are moving. Like where Now do it for a tricycle. It's the same, right? Where you power the both back wheels. Uh, yeah. There's kind of bendingness to it. <laughs> um, one of the things I was thinking about along the way for this, there are these minimalist unicycles where it's just like a a wheel with two pedals. Like, the pedals are not quite in the centre of the wheel. They're, they're both slightly off, but they're... What? Imagine you've got a pedal at 12 o'clock and a pedal at 6 o'clock. Yeah. Um, not quite at the edge. So not quite on the rim, but not quite in the centre either. Oh, I see. And they're, they're stuck to it. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Right. Um, so it's, it's the core of a bicycle. It's the... Uh, mm. As small as you can make the concept of a bike. But, but they can turn. Yeah, they, they can turn. Yeah. So it's like you keep alternating which way you're putting your weight onto your left or onto your right. Yeah. If we think about what happens if we were doing the the same problem to those, it very clearly goes backwards. And I feel like the rest of these problems are just distractions from that concept. Well, it's you scale up and down where exactly that wheel is. Because if if you can imagine that pedal. Now, I don't know if, if anybody could do this or whether it's just my sort of physics degree that's brought this intuitively into my head, but I'm imagining that pedal floating imaginarily off the end of the wheel. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. So, And you push backwards, it very clearly goes forwards. Yes. Yeah. It's the, um, if you had a trench either side of your minimalist wheel. Yeah. And there were very long pedals. Yeah. The stationary point there is where the pedal is exactly the same radius as the wheel. Because then at that point you're you're creating a um a, a backwards force, F. Yep. And you're creating a uh torque. A, a torque of F little r. Yep. Or let's say F R P, where P is a subscript. Okay. Like the, the radius of the pedal. Yep. Which is turned into a torque, which is applied to the wheel. But the wheel applies that torque to the ground, which is the torque divided by R, lowercase w. Yep. And because RP and RW are the same, it just becomes F. And so you've got two Fs of exactly the same size, and they cancel to zero. Yep. Yep. And so in the main problem, all these extra things, talking about gears and ratios and that sort of thing, it's just, it's the same concept as the ratio of those two radii in yes. the, the simplified version. Yeah. The inequality is, force horizontal is greater than force horizontal times radius of pedal divided by radius of wheel. And you can cancel the force horizontals and multiply through by radius of wheel, and its radius of wheel is greater than radius of pedal. Yep. And that's when it moves backwards. Cool. I'm happy with that. Done. <laughs> Hooray. I've been thinking about the, your uh, minimalist uh, unicycle. I've come up with a different design. Okay. Um, so instead of having uh, pedals that can rotate however they want, um, presumably, Yep. you just have sticks, and you've got shoes, which are kind of like platform shoes, but they've got a hole through the middle of them. Okay. And you uh, and <laughs> and you and you thread the pole through the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Or you you grab the uh, the poles with your talons. Yes. Or you, or you have shoes with like, not with a, a hole in, but with like an indent. Maybe they look a bit like Shadow the Hedgehog's shoes from Sonic Adventure Two. If anybody knows what I'm talking about there, which allows them, and Sonic has the same ones, which allows them to to grind like a skateboarder on a rail, um, even though they do not have a skateboard because things were edgy and cool back then. Have you ever read the Amber Spyglass? Yes. Um, in... Seapod. Yeah. <laughs> there were these uh, creatures which um, 
So in real life, not I don't I can't think of any animals that use wheels. There are things which roll along as their whole body, but there's nothing which kind of has a wheel at the end of one of its limbs. Yeah, there are there are some wheels that are um, uh, microscopic. Okay, that's there cool. There some. There are some. This is something that my my tutor at, at Oxford. That was his thing. Is he had there are some wheels that exist in plant cells. Like yeah. they are effectively wheels, but they're very very small. But they're not for they're not for rolling along. They're just for sort of rotating and doing things. Anyway, yeah. but there are no animals. There are no wheeled animals. In the amber spyglass, there were these creatures. They were kind of like elephant things. But with their talons, uh, they would grab around these kind of seeds and use the seeds as wheels. So they had three legs, and they used their front two legs. They would bore a hole in these massive seed pods. They would hold their own hand through the hole in the seed pod, and then they would propel themselves with their back leg. Yeah. I think that's what it was, yeah. And it pushed themselves along. I think they might have had four legs, but yeah, something similar to that. No, oh, no, I very specifically remember them having three legs. I think they had one at the front, one at the back, and two in the middle. So it was like a diamond. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, maybe they were diamond, yeah. Either way, they were, they were, they were structured different as well. Hmm. They were the best characters in that book. <laughs> I agree. It all just fell off a cliff a little bit. I forgot the amber spyglass within reach. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've got it here. Hmm. <laughs> so I have a problem today about rhythm close enough to music. Don't know if it counts. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, so, do you know what a time signature is? Uh, this is like four four, four four, three four, six eight. Yeah, two two. These are things that go at the beginning of a score, and they tell you how the rhythm goes okay. in the music. And so four four is something everyone's familiar with. Time. So that's where things go. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Basically, name any pop song and it'll be in 4 4. Yep. There are other slightly different ones, things you might be familiar with. So, um, 3 4 is the waltz. Sort of. Dun, 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 dun. In three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, do, do, do. So, one. where does the 4 come into that? So, the 4 is because that is the length of note. That is used. That, that there are three of. Okay. So, so the first number is saying how many beats per bar. Yeah. The second one is saying how long those beats are. Yes. Okay. Effectively. Or not how long they are, but how we're going to write the beats in the score. If you had something which was in four four, and you wanted to turn it into four eight. That's you just would then a scaling have to factor turn of everything. All your crotchets into quavers. Yeah. Would it be played identically? It would be played twice as fast if it had the same number of beats per minute. Okay, but you'd change the uh, the tempo, the little numbers in the top left. You would probably change the tempo. Yeah. Cool. Got it. Beats, the beats per minute. There is another type which is commonly used. I can't think of a very good, um, like, popular example that the, the people would know for it. But it's six eight, is one. Okay. Where things are in triplets. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, This is how most rapping is done these days, actually. So um, it's still got that kind of freeness to it. It's similar to the three, four. So the scaling of that. It, yes, but it's six, eight rather than three, four, which means you have two lots of three in it. Okay. Three, four has one set of three. So three, four goes one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And it's fe- it feels like each three is its own... K 
contained unit. So are you putting an emphasis, say, at the start of each bar or at the end of each bar? Yeah, there's sort of an emphasis of one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, yeah. Um, whereas with six, eight, it's da-ba-da-da-ba-da. Yeah. It's like... So it's in it's one two three 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 and so it's kind of like there's two sets of three together and they're paired. Uh, would you be would something like um, note length one note length one note length two note length one note length one be an acceptable six eight thing to do? When you do that, you're probably in three four at that point. By going one one two. One one that two mm. in the middle kind of in three four would have to go between two different bar uh, yeah, two different bars. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, it, at that point, if that's happening a lot in your music, you probably have the tempo wrong. Got it. Okay. And you're probably in three four, and you probably need to double your your double your things. So there's a, if if there's a sense of if you're taking your your two sets of three, then there's this sense of thatness to it and it's it, it's because these things sort of share and they're kind of divisible and it's kind of like a sort of prime thing right so th- three is a prime but six isn't yep and so when you try and break six into three then you have this two you have this floating two I that's see. kind of it means that you're kind of off by a scaling factor of two and maybe you need to scale up but there are other time signatures so um jupiter what what time signature is jupiter in it's five four Five four. Yes, that's, that's the famous one. Uh, well, there is a more famous one than Jupiter. Ooh, there are two more famous ones than Jupiter that that I think people would know. One of them is Take Five. It's a famous jazz song. It's called okay. Take Five, and that's in five four. The most famous song in five four is Money by Pink Floyd. It's boom ba da dum boom ba dum ba da dum boom ba one two three one two one two three one two. Okay. Um, I'm vaguely familiar with both. Money. Um, and the interesting thing about five anything, five four. I like to think in terms of five eight. That and and we'll, you'll understand why I'm thinking in terms of eight and not four later. Okay is that there is no real way to conceptualise five as a countable element in your head. So, with, with say, four, four, you might think of it in terms of, like, maybe two twos. Yeah, one, two, three, four, one, two. Like, that's kind of splittable. Um, with, uh, with six, eight, it's in threes. It's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. With five, eight, or five, four, there's no good way... Yeah, that you can keep saying. time by going one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, and so the way that musicians intonate five, eight, five, four is they split it into threes and twos. Mm. And so, if you think about money, boom, ba da dum, boom, ba, boom, ba da dum, boom, ba, one, two, three, one, two. That's even how I was counting it when I was I doing see. it just yeah. then. It's three and two. I can't think of any good examples where you go two, three, but another way would be to think about it in. Two and a three. One, two, one, two, three. One, two, one, two, three. And so you have two different ways of doing five. Now the yeah. same is true in seven. So seven you have to break it into three, two, and two. One, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two. But there's two more ways you can do it. You can go one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three. Or 
you can put load all the twos to the front and go one two one two one two three one two one two one two three one two one two one two three. Hmm. And so with seven, there's three ways of doing it. Okay. When you get on to nine, well, eight's obviously just two sets of four, or like four sets of two, or whatever. That's just your powers of two are just your powers of two. And nine seems very freeish. Nine's three threes. Yeah. You can't get around it. There are other ways of constructing it. Like you can go two, 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 three. Never happens. But we should probably keep it in mind. Yeah. Um, that you can go three, three, three. All this. So basically, there's how many different ways are they of doing that? Is that five or four? Four, nine. Yeah. So you've you can got... go three, three, three. Yep. Or you can go put the three. Just put one three at the end, and then go. So two, 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 three, or two, two, three, two, yeah. or two, three, two, two, yeah. or the other one. <laughs> yeah. Three, two, two, two. Yeah. Which is yeah, five different ways. So we're talking now, about partitions here. Yes. We're, we're partitioning down into twos and threes. And so there, there is a pattern that emerges of the number of different ways you can break something down into threes and twos per yep. time signature as, as, as the number increases. And I just thought I want to try and explore that pattern and see how it's derived. So what we're after here is how many different ways there are for each. And we can always sort of forget the music element. It will come back. It, it, it's applicable. But we could even start with two. So the first one where it isn't unique is five. Because we could have two, three, or three, two. So it goes one, 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 two. Yep. Next one, six. We could have it as three, three, or yep. two, two, two. Yep. That's it. That's, that's two as well. Yep. Yep. Seven. There's three ways. By having the three in any of the different places. Mm-hmm. Yep. Eight. Uh, eight is the same as seven. You just switch the threes for twos. Oh, but you also have four times two. Yes. So it's the same as seven, but with one more. So four. Yeah. Is this sequence going to be increasing? I suspect it's never going to go down. I think by adding an extra number, you don't take anything away. I don't you know. You will always turn a two into a three, so it'll either be exactly the same, or if it's all threes, you've turned a three into two twos, yeah. which can be split up and put in different places. Is that sound enough logic? Yeah. Yeah. So it will always increase. I think so. Or stay the same. It could be you turn a two into a three. Which, that's already happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with nine, we already counted them out. There were five different ways. Because you've got three, three, three. Or you can do it as two, 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 three. But then move in where the three is around. Yeah. Ten. We've got all the twos. All the twos. The ten kind of splits into two fives. So we've got two, two, three, three. Two, three, two, three. Like, what what we're doing here is we've got two twos and two threes, and we're just working at all the different combinatorics of that. If you leave the partition intact down the centre... Oh, wait. Yeah, two twos, two threes. It's just two to the four. No. Oh, so it's it's like four factorial over two factorial, three factorial. In general, if you've got uh, objects... Say you've got objects um, A's, B's, and C's, and you're rearranging them. Yeah. It's going to be n factorial, where n is how many you've got in total, over how many a's factorial, how many b's factorial, and how many c's factorial. Yeah, but it's not 2 factorial, 3 factorial, it's over 2 factorial, 2 factorial. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, which is the same as 3 factorial. Yeah, which is 6. six. 
So in total seven ways? Because we've also got the way with all the twos? Yes. What we want to do here is build a general uh, thing. That's what I'm trying to... Yeah, but we haven't got there yet. And actually, the question that I was originally going to bring to the show is at what point do you have more combinations than you have uh, beats? Okay. Well, that probably won't take very long to go. No, we're getting there, right? Yeah, for ten beats, it's seven combinations. That was a jump of two. Should we just do a couple more? And then we'll think about how we can do it in general. As I'm doing eleven... What I'm thinking about here is we're definitely going to have to have at least one free. But it's like we're adding a free onto our combinations from eight. I think of it a bit like you've got your ten, but you're converting a two into a three. What I think tra- it's going to be the same number. But anyway, yes. What I'm trying to yeah. do here is come up with some sort of recursive solution here. So, like, if we've got an on number, we can consider the even number free before it and apply some like algorithm which turns the other old ones number into the new one yes so it's kind of like you're doing something with the three yeah so if we think of all the combinations for eight which was two 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 and then uh two three 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 two three and three three two and we think about adding a new three in it's almost like you need a number of entities counter that's used. Adding the three just... in is hard. It gets added in in different ways and different ones because some mm. of them produce the same sequence. Ah, uh, yeah. So because if you try and put a three in front of a three and behind a three, it's going to look the same. Yeah. Yeah. We've done these sort of partitioning things before, but they always have a slightly different twist to them. If we can work out enough numbers in the sequence, we can type it into the... Uh, Online encyclopedia. The online sequence. <laughs> yeah. Do we have enough already? We've done quite a lot. Well, should we do 11 and then type it in? Okay. What is 11? I don't know. So we've got 22223 and its combinations. I think it's the same as 10. But carry on. 5. And then we've got 3332, which has 4 combinations. So in total, it's 9. Yes, that makes sense. Because all of your two 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 twos from previously yep. are being turned into a two 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 three thing, but then you're losing some of the uniqueness of the ones where you went three two three two yep. because your one of your twos is turning into a three. So they're balancing out. Like from one side, it's trying to increase the number of uniqueness, and the other side, it's trying to decrease. So I, I'm satisfied that for any number, I, I could like churn through and work it out. Yeah, I just don't have a quick way. There's no quick way. Yeah. And why is that? Why is that jump to nine? Yeah. Where did the eight go? Like we've we've hit all the numbers on the way up. Now it's uh, we missed six. We missed six. So so far our sequence, starting from uh, two beats, is one 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 two two three four five seven nine. So it's accelerating. Hmm. And I kind of expect that to keep on accelerating. So uh, let's let's plug it into that uh, to that thing. What's it called? I don't, I don't know. I always get to it by linking from a particular Online sequence. sequence encyclopedia. The number of compositions of n into parts congruent to 2 mod 3, offset minus 1, sounds like it could be it. <laughs> this website is amazing. So then it says it should go 12, 16, 21, 28. The 
Padavan sequence. Yep. Or Padavan numbers. The number in the sequence is equal to the number f- from two ago plus the number from three ago. Ah, so it's like Fibonacci but on a lag. Yes, provided you're starting one one one. So to do our twelfth one, that's saying it's the solution to the tenth one plus the solution to the ninth one. Yes. So it's predicting twelve. So it should be twelve. Should we try it out? Yeah, go on then. So twelve, we can write it as all twos, one yep. way. We could do it with a three three two two two, which will be five factorial over two factorial three factorial, which is which is ten. Yep. And then we could also do it as four threes. Yeah. Which is another one. Yeah. One ten one. So you get twelve. Cool. Right. So that's it. I like this connection with Fibonacci. Um, why is it true? <laughs> so, it's the number of ways you could split the one from two ago, yeah, plus the number of ways you can split the one from three ago. So the one from two ago, like, it doesn't seem a coincidence that the special numbers we defined in our sequence here are two and three, and it's talking about the one from two ago and from three ago. That's true. Because the one from two ago, it's like it's all of them plus you've added an extra two. And the one from three ago, it's like it's all of them plus you've added an extra three. Hmm. I wonder if we played around, instead of having our special numbers as twos and threes, if we picked other primes, if we picked, okay, we're going to split into twos and fives. Right. Would it be... Two ago and five ago. Two ago and five ago. Gotta <laughs> <Can't> try. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't split three into twos and fives. Uh, yes, yeah, so you just start from... Yeah. We start from five. I think the fact that we started at two, and it was twos and five, hmm. Th- this is like the change problem again. Which ones can you do? It's the, um, what are they called? McDonald's numbers or something? Yeah, chicken nuggets. It's the chicken nugget numbers. The chicken nugget numbers. I can't remember which episode we talked about this on. Why are they called the chicken num- chicken nugget numbers again? Uh, ch- chicken nuggets, you could buy them in packs of, like, five or seven or twenty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, like, the smallest number you couldn't make. It was episode four we talked about this, when we were talking about the unchanged problem. But, yeah, if you start sufficiently high up, you can do every number after that point. Yes. (laughs) You can't do six, though. Oh, yeah, you can. You can. I I think the rule was, uh, if you've got two numbers, say two and five, you added them together and then took away their product. Mm, No. How would that work with two and five? You add them together to get seven and take away their product to get minus three. Oh, that's, that's true. Maybe it's maybe it's the, the other way around. Yeah, times them together to get ten, take them away from each other, take away. Yeah, it's the product minus the sum. But then you get three. And you can't make three out of two and five. So that's the biggest one that you can't make. Ah, the biggest one you can't make. So we start from four. Should we get ready? Go. I'm reasonably reasonably interested to see if it does give us the kind of like Fibonacci thing, but with a a lag of two and a lag of five. Yeah, go on then. I, th- I think we're on to something here. Yeah. Um, right, so, we'll start with four beats. We're splitting it into twos and fives. There's only one way. Yeah. Five, there's only one way. Just yeah. doing it as five. Six. There's four. only one way. Seven. Two ways. Two it's ways. Two and five, and then five and two. Yeah. Eight. All the twos. One way again. Ooh, it's decreasing. Yeah. Because they're not they're not next to each other in the number line, so you can't just say one is turning into the other. Like This so feels bit... very reminiscent of the change problem from episode four. It feels a bit like Nariana's cows as well, but I don't know why. It's because we're just 
generating some sequences. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, actually, it, that had a recu- kind of recurrent thing to it. It's like a recursive thing to it, where you were talking about, oh, it's the one, but it's like the one three ago. Right, nine. Three ways? Is it two twos and a five? Yes. Two, two, yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ten. That starts getting five, interesting. Five. five and five. Or all the all twos. twos. It's all the twos. So it's two. Two, 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 two. Eleven. Four. Mm, oh. Yeah. How are we making 11? It's 5 and then 3 twos. Yeah, you put it in the holes around the 3 twos, so there's 4 of them. 12. It's 5, 5, 2. So three yeah, ways. so there's 4 different ways. Oh. Because you have all twos as well. Cool. Yep. 13, 5, and then 4 twos. Yeah, so, so that's 5. Yep. 14. 7 in total. I think we must have enough to be able to test our rule now. Yep. Should type them in. We can just look, right? Oh. Yeah. So, is it the sum of the one from two before and five before? It does look like it is. Because the, the last one we did was for 14 beats, there were seven ways. Two before it was four ways. And five before it was three ways. Three plus four is seven. That's true. Try another one. Uh, five, four, and one. Yeah, the one before it works. And the one before that. And the one before that. Cool. Therefore, proof by discovery... <laughs> For all numbers. Proof by evidence. <laughs> we have proven without a shadow of a doubt <laughs> that uh, if you would want to compose, decompose a set into sizes N and M, yep. then the formula for generating it is... Uh, oh, I've already used N and M. If <laughs> you want to split it into X and Y sizes, then it's uh, N minus X plus N minus Y. The number of combinations thereof, where you have to predefine the numbers up to the chicken nugget number. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really satisfying. Or do you start? What... At, do you start at the number after the chicken nugget number? It can be projected backwards, surely. Uh, you just, yeah. For the chicken nugget number, you just say zero. Does that work? Uh, yeah, it does come out as zero. But what do you think happens if you split it into twos or threes or fives? Do you think it's the sum of two ago plus three ago plus five ago? I think that might be wishful thinking. Just because two and three make five. But maybe. It's the number of ways that you can split it into two and five. The number of ways you can split it into three and five. The number of ways you can split it into two and three, and also the number of ways you can split it into two, three, and five. I think this may be a um, a job for Excel. I think I may have a, a play around with that and our, our feedback next week. Maybe the uh, listeners would like to have a go at that one as well. Can we generalise it for more than two? Whoa, spooky, scary. Uh, thank you. This has been a music problem, much foreshadowed <laughs> by Alex. In my classroom, we've moved in like a whole library of maths books onto one of my bookcases. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other maths teachers didn't want them. It's a set of maths books. Yeah, so I, there's probably a hundred maths books. It's a group of maths books, because if you rotate them, <laughs> you can get back to the beginning again. <laughs> um, I've been reading one called Forever Undecided, A Puzzle Guide to Godel. And um, the very first puzzle it proposes was just it was kind of cool logic going on. 
So, I'll, I'll tell you the problem, then I'll tell you some other ones uh, to like build up to actually answering the first one. So the problem is this. There are two people, person A and person B, and they're going to be making some offers to you, and you're going to decide which offer you'd like to take. Okay. Person A's offer um, is you, Alex, are going to make yep. a statement, and if the statement is true, you're going to get exactly £10. Uh, if the statement is false, then you get either less than £10 or more than £10, but not exactly £10. Hmm. So, so you're going to make a statement, and depending on whether it's true or not, you're going to get some money. Person B's offer, maybe this is more tempting, is again you're going to make a statement, and regardless of whether it's true or not, you will get more than £10. Mm-hmm. Um, which offer would you like? Which feels initially tempting? Well, so the second one feels initially tempting, but I think I've worked out why it's not so much. Okay. And it's based on the extra assumption that they don't really want to give me that much money. Yeah. And so, person A, if I tell the truth, they have to give me £10. If I don't tell the truth, they'll probably just give me £1. Yeah, you don't know whether they're malicious or not. Right. In in the world in which they're malicious, they're going to give me £1. Person B will always give me £11. Yeah. £10, one penny, but... So, I, I'm going to, to to introduce you into the way of thinking that we're going to be doing on the main problem. I, I'm going to introduce you to a, a, one which sounds quite similar, but then we can kind of use that same logic. So, different situation. Uh, I'm going to be making an offer here. Uh, I've got two prizes, prize one and prize two. Um, and you're going to make a statement. If that statement is true, then I'm going to give you one of the prizes. Um, I'm not saying which one. If your statement is false, then you're going to get no prize. Now, okay. with that one... Oh, oh. Yep. I thought of maybe what it is. Go for it. I am going to get a prize. Cool. Uh, and that is a true statement, so I, I would give you one of the prizes. And that's what fine. What happens if it says I'm not going to get a prize? <laughs> uh, that's the uh, liar paradox, right? Yeah. So uh, if you said I'm not going to get a prize, I don't think there's any way that can be reconciled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, universe I... breaks. We start again. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to tell me what would have happened if I'd not told the truth? I don't think you ever. Don't think you did. Uh, you get no prize if you don't tell the truth. Right. Yeah. So that's fine. You can make any statement which is definitely true. So one plus one is two, and I would give you one of the prizes. That's fine. Let's say you really want to win prize number one. You don't really care about prize number two. What statement could you make to get prize number one? I'm not going to get prize number two. Yes. Do you want to talk it through? What um, ha- what happens with that statement? Because if I say I am not going to receive prize number two... Yeah. If I gave you prize number two, then, then you would have been wrong, and so you shouldn't have got a prize? Yeah. So, so that can't happen. Or maybe the, actually the answer is, I'm going to get a prize that is not prize number two. Because if... If, if I'm not going to get prize number two, it's false. Oh, then that means I'm going to get prize number two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay, right. Your right, original statement it. was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there are three things I could do. I could give you prize number one, I could give you prize number two, or I could give you no prize. Yeah. But the other two both lead to contradictions? Yes. If I didn't give you a prize, then you would have been right, and so you should have deserved a prize? Okay. You'd have been telling the truth. So, going back to my original problem... I should probably say things like, I am going to receive more than £10. 
You want to be doing some sort of meta puzzly sort of thing. Or like, I am going to receive more than £15. Pounds. Should we do another one to kind of get you thinking before we build up back to the big one? Yeah, okay. There, there, there are variants on these. There are loads of different variants. So, um, again, I'm going to give you... Uh, I offer two prizes, prize number one and prize number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you make a true statement, I will give you at least one of the two prizes. Possibly both. So this is different from the, the one before. If you make a false statement, you get no prize. This time, you want to win both the prizes. You're, you're being kind of ambitious here. What statement could you make? These puzzles are hard. <laughs> I am going to receive... Hmm. I think I have to do a not here, don't I? I am not going to receive less than two prizes. Okay, let's work Cause, it through. Because if, if I do the positive version of I'm going to receive more than two, yep. that could be false and I could get nothing. But if I say I'm not going to receive less, that yeah. could be false. And I see I, what no, you're sorry, going sorry, for. Yeah, no, no, but that could be false and I could receive nothing. Yeah. Um, okay, no, that, that's the wrong angle. Think about uh, your statement. You could make a statement which is saying more than one thing. You can use words like and or or in this. Yeah, you I've been shying away from that. I think it's unavoidable with some of these. So I what... am going to receive greater than minus one and not one. The first part of that seems tautological. No, because if you say I am going to receive greater than minus one, then you can't get zero because it'll always be true. You've ruled it out being false. Because you're doing an and statement with something where one half the and is tautologically true. No, but it's not. It's not. That part cannot be false and I and me receiving zero. Maybe maybe I need to think a bit more carefully about my and. But at the very least I want to say you're either receiving zero or one or two presents. Yeah. All of those numbers are greater than minus one. Yeah, but I only get no presence if it's false. So what I've done with that statement is I've ruled out getting no presence. Because you can't give me no presence because then it'll, that'll be a true statement. The statement is judged as a whole. So your statement, if you've got an and in there... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, at the moment I'm just not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about the clause. Okay. I will receive more. Let's forget my and for the time being. Yes. Okay, I agree. Yeah. And so I'm going to build on that. I am going to receive greater than minus one presence and greater than one presence. If I gave you no presence... Yeah. Your statement was false as you deserve zero presence. Because the statement uh, okay. that you're making let's, has an and in it. Let's switch and for or. Okay. I am going to receive greater than minus one presence or greater than one presence. No, but in that case, I can, I can receive one. Yeah. Um, You're in the right ballpark with this. If if I just said, I'm going to receive two presents, then it could be wrong and I can get nothing. Yeah. If I said, I'm going to receive two presents and I'm not going to receive no presents, then if that's true, then I get two presents. If it's false, it can't be false because I can't receive zero presents. So what was your statement? I'm going to receive two presents, and I'm not going to receive zero presents. If I gave you zero presents, that would be fine, because one half of your and statement would be false. Yeah. No, it's this, um, um, it's, it's this, it's this and thing. There is a boolean where I can combine those two. Right, not zero, boolean two. And there is a boolean that I can use on those two clauses. So that, you're that, wanting it... That gives it. me what I want. You're wanting it, like... With our four cases, so zero 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 one one zero or one one, you want it to give the results one zero zero one. I guess so. 
Yeah, I think that will be equivalent. I think I think that's what you want here. Yeah. So, Are you, I, can can you please enlighten me on this one because I don't think I'm going to get it. I I think what you've just said is the equivalent. So if you if we could work out what that uh, boolean was, it would be given an equivalent statement to this. Yeah. If you say I will get either both prizes or no prize, that works. And I think it's the same thing because you're you're talking about both of those things happening or neither of them happening. Well, so that so that that one is two presents or zero presents. Yes. So if we just work through the things, I'm not going to give you one present because then it wouldn't have been a true statement and you shouldn't have got presents. If I gave you two presents, that's fine because it would have been a true statement. Why can't I give you no presents? Because it would have been a true statement. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think nor is what I'm looking for. Anyway, <laughs> I'll leave it to <laughs> that's a listener thing. If, if you think of the exclusive or, which is like zero one one zero, yeah, it's like not that. Not Zor. Hmm. Exclusive nor. <laughs> yeah. But th- that probably is equivalent to something nicer. Yeah. So, if we think about the big one, now that we're thinking in this kind of language of we're making statements about the puzzle itself. Yeah. Um, our goal here is to make more than £10. Let's so say we, we want go- to make a million pounds. Take me through person number two again. Okay. No matter no, no matter what, I get more than 10 Yes. Okay. We're person B, person two. Uh, you're going to make a statement, and then they're going to give you more than ten pounds. They don't even care about right. your statement. So I could say to them, "I'm going to get a million pounds," and they'll be like, "All right, here's eleven pounds." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Person so A person A is the one that's wor- worried about truthness and falseness. Yeah. And if so it's they're, true, they're more manipulable. You get ten pounds. If it's false, you get not £10. So it might be more, it might be less, but it's definitely not going to be £10. Okay. So, you would then say, I'm going to receive a million pounds, or I'm going to receive £10. I think that, that I think that almost works. I think we need a negation in there. Okay. Should we, should we see why it doesn't work? So, if they gave you £10, it would have been a true statement, and so you get your £10. Oh, yeah. I'm going to receive a million pounds or I'm not going to receive ten pounds. No, um, that doesn't work. They can give me eleven pounds and that would be true. Yeah. Yeah. They could give you nothing. I'm going to receive a million pounds and I'm not going to receive ten pounds. <laughs> it's like we're just churning through all of the different combinations yeah. of these yeah, 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 yeah. We know it's going okay. to be one of them. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get there. So, uh, what was that one again? I forget. Sorry. <laughs> I've lost it. What's the answer? You will neither pay me exactly £10, nor exactly £1 million. There's got to be a tidier way of saying that. So, I'm not... These, g- these aren't Boolean statements. Neither is not a Boolean statement. No. Um. I, I'm not going to get either £10 or £1 million. So you're saying not 10 or a million? Or no. are you saying not 10 or not a million? Uh, not some both of those things. So, not ten, or not a million. Yes. So, if that's true, that it's... it's a, So, it's... A, it's Well, okay, that's basically any number. That is any number for, yep. for true. And if it's... But if, but true is ten. But we said not ten. So, ugh. But false was going to be anything, but... Hmm. If it was true, then you get rewarded for 
for doing a true statement by £10. But you said you weren't going to get £10. So that's a contradiction, so that can't happen. Right. So it must be false. Yeah. Uh, now, if it's false, one of the clauses in it had to be false. But it can't be that you're... One of the clauses was you're not getting £10. And that has to be true. Because otherwise it would, it would have all been a true statement. Yeah. So the only possibility for making it false is that I would give you a million pounds. Very good. Yeah. Very nice. I like it. <laughs> so all of this has implications for Godot's incompleteness theorem. Mm-hmm. These sort of um, statements where you're solving the puzzle by making a statement about the puzzle itself. That's kind of what's going on with Godot's incompleteness theorem. Yeah. It's like, for his first incompleteness theorem, you've got some statements which are true and you can prove them. They're provable within the system. And you've got some statements which are true but you can't prove them. These are like two big sets out there. So what Gojo did was he constructed a sentence that asserted that it was in the set which was of unprovable things. So it was saying, I am not a provable thing. I am not a provable statement in this system. If that sentence was false then what it says can't have been the case, and so it would be provable in the system. But it can't be, since all the sentences which are provable in the system are true. Hence the sentence must be true, and as it says, it is not provable in the system. Thus, schedule sentence is true, but not provable in the system. It's the same structure as what we were dealing with with the statements. Right. So, any formal system of logic will have statements which are true but are not provable. I'm comfortable with that. Okay. Just got to make sure that those things aren't important things. If it's some stupid thing about like, oh, you know, you you can never work out how many ways you can decompose a number into two sets of twos and threes, then it's like, oh, who cares? (laughs) If it's something important, like, oh, man... Uh, if only I could uh, I could run this hospital for free, but if only I could work out the algorithm to route the electricity around such that all the MRIs machines get the right power at the right time. Yep. Then that's, you know, that's a bit of an issue. If you can't work that algorithm out. Well, that seems like a numerical thing. Plug some numbers in. Do some approximations. It's all good. Yeah, but it's about running it for free. Not running it for cheap. For free. So you can't be wrong by any margin. Mm, I see. Yeah. Probably not the typical approach to Kurt Gödel's results to say I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure Bertrand Russell didn't say that when he found out about it. Actually, was he dead by that point? I don't know. That was nice. Nice uh, nice forms of logic. I find them really hard. Um, I, I've got much further in this book. It is good. I'll, I'll say the name again. Um, Forever Undecided, A Puzzle Guide to Gödel. I think it's quite an old book. Hmm. Um... But it's just full of these sort of things. There's lots of, like, knights and knaves sort of truth-telling-y problems. And it's one where, if I read more than ten pages, my mind is just completely full. I have to go and do something else. you got to go stare at Cat for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Bastion of complete illogic. (laughs) Do cats do anything by logic? Um, Cats don't even understand if they pull a piece of string attached to something, the thing on the other end is going to come closer. They don't even understand that. They're pretty sure they don't understand propositional logic. I think Mew, my cat, has been in the room for every 
every episode of this podcast that I've produced. Hmm. So she's physically had some maths go in her ears. Yeah. Must uh, have picked up something. Yeah. Never displays it. She's my worst student. <laughs> Can't even count the amount of times she's eaten in a day. She just keeps eating. <laughs> So, feedback. Yes. We've got another visualised thing from Tom Verdun of one of our problems. He makes nice. lovely things coding up. Mm. So, it was re- in relation to the code pad guessing that we did in one of the episodes recently. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, in the follow-up episode to that, we, we talked about what the actual solution was, because we we've, were given a number file video on it. Uh, it involved De Bruyne series. Mm-hmm. De Bruyne sequences. Tom Verdun has coded that up and put it in a visual way for different uh, numbers of digits allowed, different lengths of codes in. Um, you can you can select a whole lot of different ones there. And it's visualised as this kind of a coloured thing going around a graph. Yeah, this is the um, the graph that I talked about and was imagining. imagining. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, re- it was really good to see it and it made sense. It made sense. We'll put a link to it. You can have a play around with different sizes of these things in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this isn't really feedback, but um, I've been working on another podcast for, for quite a long time. Nothing's really been released uh, until sort of now-ish. Uh, it's called The Shade. It's a podcast about uh, the, in the shadows of tech and money. And it's about sort of uh, wacky stuff to do with, to do with finance. Because uh, for a living... Um, I invest in financial technology companies uh, at a venture capital firm. And so we made a podcast about sort of weird stuff that we're seeing uh, to do with financial technology and and other adjacent spaces to that. Um, And to be clear, we there doesn't mean me. No, it's uh, we meaning me and my work. So if you want to hear me on another podcast, uh, look for The Shade. Um, You can look at uh, hacking.finance will be the website will there be something up there and uh, i'm sure it can be found on itunes at this point because it has a few a few uh, a few downloads so uh, worth looking out for i would say um and then as a show as an odds and evenings uh, we have other news um we will be attending the maths jam annual gathering uh both of us i'm very Even excited you. alex very excited because he only found out about it sort of a week or two ago and then we, uh, we we got it all arranged and so we're going and I don't know how we're going to get there because it's in car world which is not a world that I inhabit um, nor you really Alaric actually no I think it's trains and then shuttle bus for us yeah it'll be fun. gonna have to be yeah but uh, yeah if, if, if anybody's going um, shoot us a line and, uh, and and we're happy to see you there um, we will put a link in the show notes if you would like to sign up and, uh, and 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 also go, I believe the number of available spaces are running slim. One of the things I'm quite excited about, there's a competition competition. So a competition for the best competition. And I've created a puzzle. I won't say too much more about it, but it's a masterpiece. Okay. <laughs> After the conference is over, I'll, I'll link it on this. Um, it's, well, no. You'll have to wait for that. There's also five-minute talks, which we may or may not be doing, um, because we haven't really submitted ours. So we'll see about that as well. 
Right, it's the part of the show where we talk about how we felt the show went. So, what was the first thing we talked about? The bike. Pushing the pedal. The bicycle. I felt we we got somewhere on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that is resolved in my mind, and I'm going to not think about it again. Hooray. If all this show does is give you peace of mind about things that have been plaguing you, yeah. then uh, it's, uh, it's worth doing. Yeah, no, that was good as well. Um, it was good as well because I completely, totally got the whole idea wrong <laughs> of the of the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was I was able to come at it from from fresh, and that makes way more sense. I'm going to ten it. Ten You're going to ten. Wow. You know, I'm going to ten it as well. Tennis. Hmm. Hmm. Right then, we did um, time signatures. Another relatively successful one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that Fibonacci-ness to it, it's really satisfying. Yeah. And that it also worked for the 2 and 5 case. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice to have an intuitive understanding as to how you could take the one from 2 ago and the one from 3 ago to make the ones that you're currently doing. Like, yeah. why it's true. Why it blends, yeah. But it's neat enough that I suspect there is some intuitive answer out there yeah it makes you go oh okay I see yeah so um listeners if you could help us out on that one it would be good yeah and I'd be interested to see what like the combinations of three do so two three five yes maybe uh, you need to have multiple running at the same time like you may need multi- uh, multiple sequences and you refer to the one previously on a different sequence and they might loop into each other a little bit. I'm hoping it's neater than that. Yeah. Um, but eight is good. Yeah. Um, in my head it was nine. Cool. Because the initial problem was twos and threes. How to calculate yeah. the twos and threes. Yeah. Yeah. And we got that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we didn't work it out. We got the sequence and we plugged it into the uh, universal sequence <laughs> machine, which is not exactly how maths works. <laughs> but whatever, whatever, man. What we're not inventing man? maths here, Alex. We're uh... we have in the past. We came up with a Sudoku checking thing. Was that us? Well, as in previously, we there was the way to think about it. The described online was that you uh, you would have to do it loads of times. But we invented a system involving staples where. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. We're geniuses. Um, the next thing we talked about was. Uh... <laughs> You're not leaving that in, are you? <laughs> of course I am. Um, uh, the next thing we talked about was your um, uh, this girdle thing. Yeah, the uh, offers. I I just I find it really satisfying. So when I read that for um, the one where you've got prize one and prize two, and you're you're trying to get prize one. Like, it didn't even occur to me to make statements about the puzzle itself. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, right, okay, I'm into the language of this one now. I understand what we're trying to do. Yeah, we're going in. (laughs) We're not doing puzzles. You put the hard hat on and turn the light on. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's all propositional logic in disguise. Yeah. Um, And I I like it when things do that. When you you suddenly start speaking a different language of maps. A dialect. A local dialect. So how do you? How did you? I'm gonna go first. Uh, it was about a six, just because I was getting it wrong left, right, and centre. So I feel ashamed. 
Okay. Uh, how did you feel? It went better than I thought it would. I thought there was going to be a strong possibility of us just going um for a long time when thinking about these. Right. You were really good at working them out. So, seven. Okay. Solid. Alright, everybody, that's it. Okay, so thank you for coming along to the show, everybody. Uh, that was a good show. Hmm. That was, uh, we, you know, I like it when we work things out. I have to say, we've had a little bit of a spate of not really working things out lately, just sort yeah. of talking about ideas and stuff, and uh, and we worked a couple things out. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. It was um, hard. Thinking is hard, Alex. Thinking is thinking is hard. Yeah, coming up with the problems is harder. I struggle every week, every fortnight, every three weeks <laughs> to, uh, to come up with something. Um, uh, okay, so... If you have worked something out that we haven't, or you think we have been dum-dums, like we have used the phrase propositional logic without knowing what that means, then please email us in at um, oddsandevenings.com forward slash contact and uh, tell us how wrong we are. Um, Also, we're on the lookout for puzzles. We've said it before. If you've got a good one, email it in, oddsandevenings.com forward slash contact. You can also hit us up at at oddsandevenings on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at at speakmouthwords on Twitter, and you can't find Alaric anywhere. He doesn't exist. I invented him. Um, what else? I think it's worth saying that we're getting a bit of an old show now. Like, there are a lot of episodes. And so a lot of people are starting from the beginning. If you're one of those people and you're listening to this episode, and it possibly it's been out for years now, um, we quite like hearing about people working their way through the back things. Like, if you've got a thought about one of the problems, even if it was years ago to us, send us an email. Drop us a line. Like, we like thinking about these old problems. And we're getting some emails to that effect where people are talking about problems from, like, episode four. Yeah. It's all good. If you are listening to this the week it comes out, and you've had a thought about the coin problem, or whatever it was, or Narayana's cows, or Snakey, or something like that, and it's just been on the back of your mind, but you've been thinking, oh, it's, you know, it's too late. It's not too late. Send us an email. Tell us what you think. Um, music. Playing now and playing at the start by David Russell 323. We don't really say that enough. It's always in the show notes, but we don't say it enough. He's a good man. He writes a good music and he has a chemistry degree. So, love it. That's it. Um, Finn. Boop. We potentially have some exciting news coming up, but we're not going to tell you about it. We've got two. Two potential exciting things coming up. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Great. Yeah, join us next time for our spooky special. Um, enjoy. The end. Good night, everybody. Bye, Alex. Bye-bye. Would you believe it? Someone in a car outside is playing Thank You for the Music. Is, uh, what time signature is that in? One, two, three, four, one. It's in four, four. <laughs> the one time I bring a music puzzle to the show, someone outside my window is blasting Thank You for the Music out of their car.
Sorry, this is too funny. I'm going to get my microphone, I'm going to open the window, and I'm going to stick it out and get a recording of that. Thank you for the music. This is so weird. Can you hear that? Yeah. 